Um, Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we welcome your revelation. We welcome your voice. We pray that you would, as Doug has said, challenge us, that we would feel challenged in our spirit. And I pray that every person under the sound of my voice, including myself, would hear what you have to say to us today, and that we would find the grace coming from your throne to respond. Thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. We will, uh, we will forego today, continuing in the book of James. Uh, next Sunday, we will finish, uh, the book of James, finish it up. But my wife and I go every year to a retreat, um, used to be in New Harmony, Indiana, um, and, uh, this year we had it in Owensboro, Kentucky. And uh, we were supposed to have it in January, and somebody got COVID. I don't know who that was, but it messed it all up. But um, So we postponed it and just had it here in July. And I was asked, uh, the, the, a lot of you, those, especially those of you who go to Gatlinburg, know who Michael Peters is. Michael's, we call him affectionately Pete. Pete's the one that organizes this and has for a number of years and and gathers people together. And uh, He asked me if I would speak on this topic that you see on the screen, the church, the pillar, and ground of the truth. And as I was putting that together, I realized that I would be gone most of the week this past week. We go on Monday. We come back Wednesday afternoon. I was really going to be cramped to try to prepare adequately James. And yet I had already prepared this. And then it also occurred to me that it's not just a message of, of, uh, necessity in the sense of filling in a gap, but it's a message for this hour and, the, and this day. And, and so I, I made a decision to, to just move the finishing up of James to next week. And today we're going to talk about the church, the pillar. And ground of the truth. Um, it's in the announcements, but I also want to mention that two weeks from today, Dennis Parker will be with us. Dennis stands to right beside Ricky when Ricky plays on stage. And Dennis has a phenomenal testimony. You just, you do not want to miss his testimony, what the Lord has, where he's brought him from and where he's brought him to and where he's still bringing him. So, that's two weeks from today. The, our theme for this retreat that we go on this time was a colony of heaven on earth. And God has planted a colony in the earth that is an extension of himself and heaven. Think of a, think of that you Someone has sent you, if you watch Star Trek or Star Wars or some of these other, that someone has established a colony on another planet and set it up in such a way that it represents where it came from. Well, God has done that uh, in the earth. He's he's established a colony from heaven. Uh, He is continually adding to the membership of that colony, of which all God's redeemed children, are beneficiaries of his grace. 
I had to add the word redeemed because there's too many thought processes out there today that think that if you're breathing, you're God's children. You are in the sense of creation, but you're not in the sense of redemption. God's redeemed children are being added, and we're beneficiaries of his grace, being added to this colony that's been established in the earth with an extension of God and heaven. And with that benefit comes responsibility in our remaining time on the earth. Now, for some of us, our remaining time is longer than others or shorter than others. I just got word yesterday one of my cousins died this past Wednesday uh, down in Florida. And so death is imminent. And not too long ago, we covered the part of James that said that our life is like a vapor. It's just a mist. And so in our remaining time, whatever that may be a day or it may be 50 years, for some of you young people, it may be 70 or 80 years. Whatever our remaining time is, we have a responsibility while we're here, while we are members of this colony. Everybody say colony. Sometimes we talk a lot about the kingdom of God, and sometimes we can't process that because we don't understand kingdom. But we can understand colony. And this colony is the establishing of God's kingdom in the earth. And so we have that responsibility in the earth. And Timothy talks, I mean, Paul writes to Timothy about this. If you want to turn to 1 Timothy 3, uh, we're just going to read three verses. 1 Timothy 3, and I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curve today. I'm going to be reading this from the New King James. Bless him, Lord, yes. Hallelujah. Using my Spirit-filled life Bible and hoping that I'm Spirit-filled doing it. If you would stand while we read the Scripture. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed... I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Your, a lot of your Bibles are going to say the household of God there, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God, or he, was manifested in the flesh, justified or vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, Believed on in the world and received up in glory. You may be seated. This is going to come as no shock to you. By the way, excuse my voice. I'm still going through puberty. The world, the world doesn't want to deal with or face the truth. And that's, I mean, I know, I'm glad you're sitting down so you can handle the shock of that statement. The world that we live in and the world system that we live in does not want to deal with the truth. And when you, when you're a person of the truth, you, you receive consternation from those. How dare you speak the truth? You know, don't, don't confuse me with the facts. The world System and our enemy would gladly eliminate the truth. There's, there's a strategic, uh, agenda, in my opinion, by our enemy through certain 
factions, to eliminate the truth, to disguise the truth, to hide the truth. The truth is the enemy of the spirit of this age. You can call it the spirit of the age. You can call it the spirit of the Antichrist. You can call it the spirit of Herod. You can just call it the spirit of darkness. However you want to label it, truth is the enemy of that spirit. And it will not stand and and allow the truth to be spoken without resistance. Jesus was talking to the Jews one day, and uh, they love this when he talks to them this way. By the way, I, I love the book, Jesus, Mean and Wild. You should read that book. It's a great book. Uh, you know, we, we think Jesus is just this mushy, mushy guy that just loves everybody. Look, he said, you are of your father, the devil. That's not very nice. He has nothing to do with the truth. Because there is no truth in him. You are of your father, the devil. He, there is no truth in him. He has, everybody say nothing. nothing. There, he has nothing to do with the truth. Now he knows how to disguise the truth. He knows how to dilute the truth. He knows how to give you half-truths. Can I tell you that a half-truth is still a lie? In Romans, Paul writes this for the wrath of God. How many of you understand there are people in churches today who do not want us to talk about the wrath of God? and that it, Or we want to act like it doesn't exist. And it, it says even, even worse than that, it says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Well, I'm not going to get into that. Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The problem we're dealing with today is the suppression of truth. The biggest problem we're dealing with today is, the, is, it, is it's largely in the church. We have churches and groups of churches and Individual churches who have bought a lie, who have created their own truth, created their own doctrines based on how they feel or based on what they want or based on what quote unquote makes sense to them. Just a few verses later, Paul writes about these people. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. Let it not be said of Abundant Life Church or anybody listening to me anywhere in the world that we, that we exchange the truth of God for a lie. If you taint the truth of God one little bit, you, have, you now have a lie. If you depart from the truth of God just to satisfy your own flavors, you have now bought into a lie. I'm not mad. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I'm sad. Every day I hear things. and The world concerns me, but the church concerns me more. These young people we want to protect. There's so many, um, so many lifestyles and choices that they're being tempted to make. And the things, when I was in middle school, the things that were cool are not cool anymore. It's cool now to be homosexual. It's cool now 
to be bisexual. It's cool now to buy, buy into all of these things. That's not cool. It's sad. If you can't handle the truth, like Jack Nicholson said, you're not going to like me today. Boy, it got quiet when I said that. Paul writes to Timothy about a group of folks. He said, these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith. Resisting the truth, men of corrupt minds. I want to submit to you those two go together. That if you resist the truth, you will certainly have a corrupted mind. Vice versa. Well, that's enough of the negative. Conversely, the church supports the truth against all who would seek to destroy or discredit it. Paul writes to the Corinthians, we cannot, everybody say cannot. We cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. Hey, let's read that together. We cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. That's our mission as this colony of heaven on, on earth, representing heaven, being, being uh, sent out from heaven. We can't do anything against the truth as this colony, as the church, but only for the truth. The mission of the church is to hold up the truth for all to see. We'll come back to that, but the church is to be a beacon for the truth. Let's not allow the world's ideas to infiltrate the church. There's a thing called synergism, and that's a mixture. That's taking truth and the world's ideas and mixing them together. And what you wind up with is probably worse than what you started with. Paul says to to Timothy in this, he talks about knowing how to behave. In this passage that we just read, Paul writes to Timothy after instructions on qualifications for elders and deacons. He spends the first part of this chapter on those instructions. And then he says, I write this to you so you know how to behave or conduct yourself or oneself in the household of God. I want you to know how you should conduct yourself in the household of God. And where are you going to learn that? He said, I wrote it to you. I just wrote to you. So the truth. The household of God, I know we know this, but the household of God is not a building. It's not a legal institution. It's not even a meeting. Now, the church meets, but that's not what he's talking about. The household of God, he tells us what it is. You know, he thought maybe here we were in 2022. We're too dumb to figure this out. But so he helps us. He said, the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Very clear. How are you going to behave? How are you going to conduct yourself in this colony of heaven living on earth? And he said, I wrote to you so you could figure that out. 
We're getting a clue. This colony from heaven comes complete with the qualities and the virtues of heaven itself. Remember what Jesus prayed? Your kingdom come on earth. Your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. First John 5. When you ask anything according to his will. According to the Greek text. Down from. So if you ask anything down from. So what are you doing? When we pray. We're praying heaven into the earth. When we pray. We're reaching outside this world to bring something into this world, heaven. I submit to you today that the church is the caretaker of the truth. The church, this colony of heaven living on earth, is the caretaker of the truth. John writes that the law came through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus. Truth. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, I am the truth. So truth is not just a concept or a set of principles. Truth is a person. I am the truth. But Jesus also says in John 17, he says, he's praying to God the Father. He says, your word is truth. Your word is truth. So if we look at what Paul writes to Timothy, I write to you so you'll know how to behave. And we see what uh, Jesus said, your word is truth. Then we get a clue that if we want to know how to conduct ourselves in the household of God, we might want to read what people have written in this book. Talk a little bit about the temple of God. It is clear that the scripture talks about being corporately and individually. It talks about being an individual temple of God, that our bodies belong to him. But there's also the, the idea of being a corporate temple that God can dwell in. And Paul writes about that in Ephesians. In him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He's putting us together. He continues to put us together. Fitting us together. Now, I just I just want to remind us that that fitting is sometimes uncomfortable. Sometimes it doesn't feel good. But this organic entity that God is forming as the temple of God is the support and the foundation of the truth. The truth. What is the truth? Or what is truth? Is it is it my opinion? Is it what I, what I have deduced in my own way of, of thinking about things? I think about the time that Jesus said to the Pharisees, why are you reasoning in your hearts? In other words, why are you, excuse me, <coughs> why are you using your own opinions and your own, uh, Preconceived notions to, to make a decision. Why are you reasoning in your hearts? The late R.C. Sproul tells us that truth is defined as that which corresponds to reality as perceived by God. Because God's perception of reality is never 
distorted. It is a perfect perception of reality. If we rely on ourselves and our own intellect to determine what truth is, then it's going to be distorted because we are living in a fallen world, surrounded by fallen people, doing fallen things, and we have a body of flesh that we have to deal with. But God's perception is always perfect. So you could say that truth is what God says. Noah Webster, a day or two before R.C. Sproul, in his 1828 dictionary said, truth is conformity to fact or reality, exact accordance with that which is or has been or shall be. And in that particular dictionary, he often uses biblical references to give an example. And he writes, we rely upon truth of the scriptural prophecies. We rely on the truth of scriptural prophecies. So then Paul says this statement that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. Now, very few of your versions there would have said ground uh, in that passage, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Uh, The margin in the uh, uh, New King James says foundation or mainstay. Uh, the word that we'll we'll start with the word pillar though. A pillar is is not just something in the south that you lay your head on. I knew y'all would get that. That's the same people that roll down the window in the car. A pillar is something that supports. It's something, it's, it's kind of what Samson pushed over and crumbled the building. The pillar is a support uh, that holds something up. But I want to tell you that it's also, a pillar is something that use, is used as a display. You've seen pillars, you know, yay high or whatever, and you've seen the bust of a man or a woman sitting on top of that pillar. And it's set there so that you can see the, the, the figurehead or you can see the, the person that they want you to see. A statue with a man on top of a pillar. So it's, on the one hand, can be a support, but on the other hand, it can be a device for display. A pillar holds something up, but it also holds it up high so all can see. And so you take that analogy, and we, this colony of heaven, the church of the living God, we have a responsibility as that pillar to not only support the truth, but display the truth. Y'all are sure quiet. <laughs> but I'm going to keep preaching. And then he uses the word ground again, which is really a foundation or a mainstay, or some people call it a buttress. It's, we'll say foundation is probably the best word there. 
You can't, obviously, you can't build anything worth anything without a foundation. A foundation stabilizes the building. A foundation firms up whatever you're building. If you don't have the right foundation, uh, then you can build a building, but it won't last. Won't last. In the same manner, the church, this colony of heaven living on earth, is responsible to hold the truth steady against heresy and unbelief. We, as a an entity, an organic entity, living in the earth, colonizing on behalf of the kingdom of God, we have a responsibility to hold the truth steady. To stand firm against heresy and unbelief. The church's duty is to hold up the truth so the world may see. Also, when you view the truth, you know how to behave. I've said this recently probably, but I want to tell you something that you already know, but I'm going to remind us again, and that is the world is watching. The world is not just watching. The world is watching you. You don't think so. I don't think so. But the world's watching you. But at least your picture's not in the Chronicle every now and then. People come up, hey, you're writing the Chronicle. Dad, it, now i got to behave. The world's watching. Psalm 26, it says, they said, we find out one of these days who they are. They said... The Lord has done great things for them. The children of Israel had been released from Babylonian captivity. They were excited. They were laughing. They were celebrating. And it said, they said, whoever they are is the world. They said, the Lord's done great things for them. Don't you want the world to say that about you? They're watching. And when we compromise the truth to try to satisfy the world... They're not impressed. I can tell you from experience that the world wants you to live by the truth. Now, they're not going to. And they're going to say things that's going to indicate they think you might not. But when you and I hold the truth and hold firm to the truth, the world's impressed. We're called to incarnate the world, uh, the word. We're called to incarnate the truth. Word is truth. Preaching of the word, general instruction of the truth, living our lives in truth. We're called to do that. The church depends on the truth for its existence. We couldn't exist without the truth. There would be no church. But in, in the same manner, the truth depends on the church for its defense and proclamation. We've got to be devoted to the truth. It, it, Jesus said, you shall know the truth. Often that's misquoted. People say, well, the Bible says the truth shall make you free. It's not what it says. 
It said you shall know the truth, and then it's going to make you free. And the word know there is a relational term. You shall have a relationship with the truth, and then the truth's going to set you free. Because if you don't have a relationship with the truth, the truth can't set you free. You get in the way. You prevent that. And then this last verse, I've, I've entitled this point by common confession. Verse 16, he says in the New King James, and without controversy. And a better translation there is the word confessedly or by common consent. He's basically saying, now, our common confession is this. It's possible, I don't know, I did a little digging. Maybe our resident historian sitting back there in the office could help us with this. But it's possible that this is the very first actual confession of the church. We know it's older than the the Apostles' Creed. But is some think it's a song, a hymn, that, that Paul is, is writing. Whatever all of that is, he said, by common confession, we believe this. And he begins to state some things that I think he's saying to Timothy and he's saying to us, and I'm not, I'm trying not to spend a lot of time with these, uh, try, but he's saying, if we want to understand what the truth is, as a matter of fact, the word mystery of godliness, if you look in your margin of some of your Bibles, it will say hidden truth. The word is actually a word that means truth that was hidden but now is revealed. Hidden truth. The mystery that he gives in these verses, in these in this list, the mystery is essentially Jesus himself. Jesus is the mystery. Everything about this confession is about Jesus. We confess as Christians that he is born of a virgin, manifested in the flesh, incarnated. I, I remember, speaking of confession, no, I'm not about to confess my sins. We haven't got that much time. Uh, as a kid, um, I know in the Methodist church, first 12 years of my life, and probably in the Southern Baptist church where I met that beautiful lady right there when we were 12 years old, um, we would do things called responsive reading. Anybody ever do that? And someone would get up and read. You'd have up in the back of your hymnal, you'd have some sections that the person sitting up, standing up here, would read, and then you would respond by reading the next section. And as a kid, I always, I often wonder, why are we doing this? Let's just sing a song. But now I see the value of that. Confession is good. Matter of fact, Hebrews said, let's hold fast to our confession of faith. And one of the ways you hold fast to it is to confess it. I'm not talking about just memorizing something, although I'm all for that. I'm talking about Let's confess that Jesus was born of a virgin. He was manifested in the flesh, and he came to earth as a human being. It, what was previously hidden from us has now been made known in Jesus himself. He was born of a virgin. He came to earth. 
He existed in the form of God. He didn't consider equality with God something that he had to fight for or grasp. But he emptied himself, not of his deity, but of his privileges. He submitted to the grand humiliation of becoming a human being. That's a long trip, folks, from heaven and the Son of God. It's a long trip from there to becoming a human being. It's a short trip for us, but it's a long trip for him. He became a servant. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Came in the likeness of mankind. That's part of our confession. We cannot compromise that. And I want to just say this. I'm not going to take the time. I've gotten it in one of my books or somewhere. I don't know. The virgin birth cannot be compromised. The virgin birth, the truth of the virgin birth cannot be laid aside and still hold to the gospel. It's one of those things. There's no negotiating. There are a lot of things that we can talk about and maybe agree on, maybe not agree on. There are a lot of things that are important, but not greatly important that we can, but this is not one of them. It has to be the truth that Jesus was born of a virgin. He said the next thing in the New King James, it said justified. I like the word vindication better. Vindication. He was vindicated. It just means, it's a word that means to render innocent. Why would God need to render Jesus innocent? Because first of all, he was maligned and falsely accused by the people of that day. They, they considered him a convicted blasphemer who claimed to be the Messiah. He was, he had bad PR. The media of that day wrote false things about Jesus. Some things don't change. He had to deal literally with shame and sin because in our place, he became the object of God's wrath. He became the object of God's wrath. Ephesians 2 said we were the object of God's wrath, but Jesus stepped into that spot and he became sin, who knew no sin. And he bore our shame. Hebrews tells us he, he took the shame. He didn't despise it. He just took it. The writer of Hebrews says that he endured such hostility from sinners against himself. A man who knows, who knew no sin, a man who had never committed a sin, a man who never would commit a sin, endured hostility from sinners. Why? Because First, he loved his father, and secondly, he loved us. So God says, okay, that's what you think of my son. Now I'm going to show you what I think of my son. Holy Spirit energizes the body, and we've got resurrection. Others had been raised from the dead. I mean, that was obviously an unusual thing, but it wasn't an unheard of thing in that day. Others have been raised, but God raised him up, releasing him from the pains of death. He gave him victory over the power and the grip 
of sin. And he was raised to newness of life in such, in such a way that he was walking through walls now and ascended to heaven, which we'll get to that last. It says he was seen by angels. We need to confess that he was seen by angels. As I was looking at this, and of course I've spoken on this many times, I said, Lord, what exactly are, are, are they seeing? I mean, you could say all kinds of things that they saw. What what are they seeing? And I immediately thought of Colossians 2.15. Y'all got anything in the oven? Okay, give me, okay. we've got a few more minutes. I set my phone for 35 minutes. I still have 24. Off. I thought of Colossians 2.15 having principalities and power, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. What were the angels seeing? He said, having disarmed, which means divested them of their power. I said this recently, but we spend too much time scared of the devil. We need to take authority, assume the authority that we already have. Luke ten nineteen. if you're taking notes. And we do not need to run scared from the devil. We need to face him. Having divested the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them. A number of commentators think that Paul was thinking here of a of a general or a, or a leader in military who would, had won a battle, and they would often in, in take those those uh, folks that they had beaten and captured as their prisoners. They would tie them together, chain them together, strip them of their clothes. The emperor has no clothes. I mean, it's not the emperor, but anyway, and parade them through the streets so that all could see that they had been defeated. And that the, the general or whoever it was had won the victory. A public spectacle. What do you think the angels were seeing? They were seeing Jesus parading through the streets of heaven with all the demons of hell as his captors. And he made a public spectacle of them. And it's interesting that the word seen by angels, the word seen there, it doesn't mean just to look at something. It means to stare. Can you imagine you're an angel that day? And Jesus comes walking by with all the demons of hell, all the kingdom of darkness, and they're all divested of their authority and their power, and he's making a public spec. And you can't just look. You're staring. Hey, look at that, guys. Stare. What's the point of that? Jesus won. Jesus won. He displayed in victory before the heavenly host. It says he was proclaimed among the nations. If Jesus comes and does all that he does and he's not proclaimed, then what's it, what is it? What's it for? What is, what is the usefulness of that? Paul writes that the gospel that you heard has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Now he, he said has been. So he had already, they were already proclaiming Jesus among the nations and of course among the Gentiles. 
And we, we hear, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but we hear echoing in our minds Romans 10 that says, How shall they believe unless they hear? And how shall they hear except someone proclaim him? So here we are with the truth that he was born of a virgin. He was vindicated by resurrection. He gained victory through the cross and through resurrection. And now here we are, caretakers of the truth, and we proclaim the truth among the nations. And the result of that is what Paul writes next. He was believed on in the world. I want to tell you that the truth is a message that will land. I have walked out of this pulpit many times, some more than others. But I've walked out of this pulpit many times asking the question, did what I just say land? Did it find a landing spot or did it just dribble down my lapel? I was telling John earlier, this has nothing to do with that, but Brother Charles likes to tell the story of a, a young preacher who was invited by an older preacher to speak. And the young fellow got up and started bounding across the floor, jumped up the steps, jumped in behind the pulpit with an attitude of, well, boy, about, that's about time. Now they get to hear me. Boy, they're going to really like it. This is going to be good. And he takes off with all of his vim and vigor and, and it just bomb. He knows it. And he comes down from the platform and he goes to the older. He's hanging his head. He just kind of forlorn. And he asked the older minister, he said, I don't know what happened. It was a failure. And the older guy said, well, I'll tell you this. If you were to go up like you came down, you'd come down like you went up. We proclaim the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret since the world began. What's the secret? Jesus Christ. What we did today. Jesus Christ is the mystery. Jesus now is manifested. And by the scriptures of the prophets. Do y'all think I believe in the scriptures? I hope you do. I hope anybody listening on any of these three cameras or watching. I hope you believe the scriptures. Because without the scriptures, you cannot know the truth. Now, you hear somebody say the truth. I can tell you what I think the truth is. And you might not pick up a Bible and read it, but I read it first. I read it to you. Oh, goodness. I just thought of a bad thing. I can't say it. Jesus now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith. Our message has to be about Jesus. Don't preach the church. Don't evangelize by saying we have a great church. Someone recently said, we said to ask her about someone who was, if they were a Christian, no, but I've, I've invited them to church. And I said, well, have you thought about inviting them to Christ? 
Not this church, by the way, so don't start looking around the room. Have you invited them to Jesus? Do you understand? Don't let me start it. Just inviting people to church for the purpose of evangelism is the lazy way out. Because what you're doing is, let's get them in that building and let the preacher talk to them. Don told you today that we're all priests. Every one of us are priests in the kingdom of God. Every one of us can share the gospel. You don't need a preacher to do that. You don't need a piece of paper to share the gospel with people. All right, I'll leave that alone. It's my squirming. But we, we proclaim him in this life because there's no believing in the next life. No believing there. Then he said he received up in glory, obviously, the ascension of Christ. Christ's work is finished. It's been finished. His uh, scripture says he sat down. He sat down means he's finished. Hebrews several times. He sat down. He's not, he's not doing anything else. I mean, he's, I'll get to it in a moment. He's doing some things, but his work is finished. The work now that's going on is being carried out by his body on the earth. This colony of heaven serving the kingdom of God is now being worked in the earth. He sent the Holy Spirit to empower us, to anoint us, to gift us, to do that. And he sits in heaven and he's our intercessor. As we do this mission, as we represent heaven as his as the colony in the earth, he's praying for us, Hebrews 7, 25. And he is our advocate. He is that one who confers on our behalf. He is, the scripture says, relatable to us. He identifies with you. We sang earlier that he cares for you. I forget the exact words, but he loves you and he cares for you. He likes you. He relates to you. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. So let us draw near with confidence. He, uh, he knows what you're going through. He knows exactly that what you're dealing with. He knows the issues that are facing you. He knows what keeps you up at night. Besides babies, you know, he knows that too, but he knows because he can sympathize with you. And so it gives us the confidence to approach his throne as this colony of heaven living in a foreign land. We have a government. We have a value system. We have behavioral boundaries. And we have a mission that comes to us from outside this world that we live in. We're, we're really foreigners. I think I used that word in one of these statements. Paul writes to Timothy and by proxy to us to accept our responsibility of being caretakers and conveyors of the truth, the very truth that communicates to us how to behave as sojourners in this land. The old gospel song says, we're just passing through. You're just passing through. 
preached a sermon one time, and the title was that you're out of this world. You are. You're out of this world. You belong somewhere else. But God established a colony of heaven on earth. Speaking the truth in agape or love is or with the best interest of others in mind and in our intentions. Speaking, we say, we use that speaking the truth in love. We forget the speaking the truth part. We concentrate on, well, we got to do it in love. Well, speaking the truth in love means that you speak the truth in such a way that has the best interest of the other party in mind. Now, if they're about to jump off of a cliff, then you speak to them, back up. Don't do that. You don't say... Well, I love them, so I better let them do what they want to do. That's not love. Not anywhere close to love. I'm not saying you have to confront people, but I'm saying when we speak the truth, we speak it in such a manner that we care for the other person and we have their best interest in mind. And sometimes that's nice and mushy and sweet, and sometimes it's not. And we can't, we can't divorce one from the other. William Booth is the founder of the Salvation Army. And he said the chief danger that confronts the coming century. Somebody's car alarm's going off. The chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Spirit. Christianity without Christ. Forgiveness without repentance. Salvation without regeneration. Politics without God. Heaven without hell. What I say to us today, what I say to you, I say to me, I say to the church, I say to this colony of heaven, and that we should buy the truth and do not sell it. We should buy the truth. We should embrace the truth. I can't, you young people, I can't encourage you enough. If you want to stay on the right track, if you want to avoid the voices of this world, study this book. Study this book because this contains the truth of God. Jesus said, sanctify them by your word because your word is truth. Buy the truth and don't sell it. Stand with me.